Welcome, welcome. How's it going, Brandon? Hey, Eric, man. How's it going? Doing pretty well. Um, so thanks for coming on the ericsfawnracing.com podcast. I think this is going to be number 44 or 45. Okay, and, cool. Uh, today I have Brandon Cretu, and uh, you're a motorcycle racer. You're a U.S. distributor of Ovale Motorcycles, um, among many other things, I'm sure. So introduce yourself to people and tell me a little bit about you. Uh, yeah, I mean, you pretty much covered it. Branding pre too. you know, we started uh, importing, we started Rise Moto back in 2018, May of 2018, and we uh, import Ivali motorcycles into the U.S. Uh, and uh, among some other things we're starting to get involved in, we're just kind of trying to expand the business a little bit beyond Ivali, but that was kind of the main, um, you know, the original idea behind it when we started to get involved with it was, uh, you know, bring over these bikes and try to I don't know, breathe some new life into the sport here. And um, yeah, so far it's been, uh, it's been a, a journey and uh, a difficult one at times, but it's been um, you know, pretty, pretty good so far. And, you know, I think, you know, things are looking, looking positive in, in the U S as far as racing is concerned. And, you know, it's a good, you know, step in the right direction. Yeah. You know, the Moto America series is really picking up with their viewership and the mini series is coming and that's great now. That's a new thing. So um, that's expanding a lot. You know, people used to be only on 50 cc's, uh, CRF 50s, and that's great. That's fine too. But uh, the Ovalis offer something a little different, isn't that right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now, I mean, I think the days of like you know people thinking, oh well, you know, we can just go out and ride. You know, I think the CR 50, like you said, is a great bike for a kid to start on. Like for sure, I still even people that reach out to me you know, and say, oh, what, you know, my kid's four or five, you know, what should I start on? And Ivali is obviously not the answer there, you know, so I'm not, I don't try to sell people a bike that isn't right for them. Um, you know, I think those are still great for kids to learn on. Um, but, you know, there comes a time when, you know, it's, I, I think a bunch of other guys have made, you know, actually Ben Speeds just recently made a post about it. Like, if you want to go race motocross professional, like you don't get a TTR 125 and try to ride it around a motocross track, you know, right. you'll never, you'll never learn how to really push a bike with your riding an improper bike, you know? Um, and these, you know, kind of bridge that gap between, you know, kids riding around on super, you know, converted trail bikes and, you know, kind of makeshift supermotos and putting them on a real, you know, a real motorcycle and a real road race bike. And I think it's, you know, it's going to pay dividends, you know, it's a long-term project for us, you know, where, you know, we'll see eventually this, you know, start to proliferate more and, more kids on the bikes and you know hopefully you know the the grassroots racing you know improves around the country where kids just have more tracks more car tracks they can go to more organizations come up that they can race with um and i'm we're hopeful that you know the moto america mini cup kind of helps you know trickle that down a little bit and people get you know just kind of brings more awareness to it and then hopefully people start start that up it sounds like a very cost-effective way to get into racing. I mean, uh, is this something you can take on regular big tracks, I guess you call them? Uh, yeah, you could. I mean, they do in Italy in their race series. They'll race them on kart tracks and they'll race them on some of the bigger tracks. Um, you just change the gearing out uh, on them and you can do it. Now, that's not really where they shine. You know, the bikes are made for kart tracks, for small tracks. Um, but yeah, for sure, you can ride them on it. You could ride them on a big track and kids do in Europe. That's awesome. It's good to see that progression. And this is like something brand new. I don't think we've really had before. It's like, oh, it's kind of like a new product segment for the U.S. 
Uh, yeah, no, I mean, there's, I mean, back forever ago, you had like the metric kits, which were, you know, close, you know, the, the racing on car tracks wasn't really as popular. That didn't start to become a thing until, you know, maybe the past 10 years or so. Um, but before that, you know, kids took the metric kits to like big tracks, you know, and they just raced them there. And, you know, the car track thing is only just like in Europe, it's, it's been around for a long time. And that's actually one of the more popular ways for people to train in Europe as opposed to training on big tracks just because of cost and everything else. Like, I think a lot of the, there's a common misconception that everyone thinks like, oh, you know, if you're in Europe or wherever, like you're always training on big tracks and you're always riding big bikes. Like that's not the case. Like all these guys are always training on car tracks or small tracks just because the cost is lower, you know, the risk of, you know, da damage to you and the bike is lower. Um, you know, it's just a more effective way to train and stay sharp for big bikes. So, you know, we're starting to see that kind of get more popular here, especially with, you know, the advent of bikes like these, where they're just like, just fun to really fun to ride, you know, and they're, you know, cheap. I mean, it's a, it, when I say cheap, it's all relative. You know, I get, I get some flack whenever I say that, cause the bikes obviously they're not cheap bikes, but once you get them, the, the buy-in is a little high, but once you get them, like the cost to do it is obviously much lower than racing, like, you know, any, any big bike for sure. Even more, even cheaper than like a 125? Uh, like a 125, like GP bike? Yeah. Um, I've never raced one of those, so I honestly can't speak to it very much. I mean, I know you can't really buy them anymore, you know, so like unless you're buying a used one. And that's the other thing. A lot of people will say, oh, I can go buy a, you know, a, a Ninja 400, a used one for like five or six grand. I'm like, well, again, you're comparing a new bike to a used bike. It's not like a fair comparison, you know, because there are values on the market now, like used ones, you can find them for, you know, if you, if you are, if you can get lucky enough to find one, it's like 3,500 to four grand or, you know, somewhere like anywhere from 3,500 bucks up to 5,000 for a used one, you know, which then it starts to, you know, be a more apples to apples comparison of used bikes. So that, that's always been kind of a, a pet peeve of mine when people, want to argue, oh, I can go buy this for, you know, less than an Avali. I'm like, well, yeah, but you're, you know, it's not the same. It's a used, yeah. you're talking used bike versus a new bike. And, you know, it's not even a compare, it's not even the same type of bike, but yeah, I, I'm not too familiar. I, I didn't, I wasn't racing when two strokes were really around and, and popular. So I don't know, like, I know that they, you know, you had to build, rebuild top ends all the time and do all kinds of stuff with them. So, you know, how, how much, how is it, how much cheaper is it? I don't really know. So uh, tell me about the maintenance of your bikes. Um, are they uh, pretty, pretty sturdy? Uh, yeah. I mean, for the most part, I think that, you know, what the, the bikes themselves, I mean, they crash phenomenally well. Like I think I've sold maybe two sets of fairings in the past two and a half, three years that we've been doing this. Okay. Uh, you know, we just, I don't even stock fairings because no one buys them because they just don't, it's really rare. Like anyone damages one to the point of like needing to replace it or needing to fix it even. Um, so in, in that, in that regard, the bikes hold up amazingly and they crash really well for what, you know, for what they are and how they look like, you'd think, oh, I'm just going to cost me a lot of money if I crash it. Well, no, it's usually just a foot peg or a handlebar, you know, and that's really all you have to replace. Um, as far as like the maintenance, I mean, they're super easy to maintain. You can take them anywhere. They don't need like anything special. They're all, they're super simple engines. Now they are for what they are. They're small like high performance engines, you know, that's like, you're getting, you have a 110, which is drastically faster than any, any TTR 110 or CR point. Like it's not even a comparison in terms of horsepower or, you know, anything they're putting out. So, you know, they, they say, you know, the top ends every 40 hours, 
um, you know, the oil change every, you know, every 10 hours. So the maintenance from the outside looks, it's easy enough. It's simple. The one part on these engines where particularly the 160 and 190 is their, their weak point, like any motorcycle, like there's usually always a, you know, a weakness or something that, you know, th doesn't always hold up, even if you're Yamaha or Ducati or whatever. Um, and that's the, the gearbox on the engine. So we always tell people when you're, when you're riding them, like you have to use the clutch, not only for downshifting, but also for upshifting. Okay. And a lot of riders are used to riding like, you know, dirt bikes or even big bikes where you can, if you don't have a quick shifter on, you can just load the shifter short, you know, release the throttle a little bit and pop it into gear. And you can do that on the Avalis, but uh, it wears out the, the selector. So people start to lose like third gear all the time if they do that. And people always say, oh, well, the, you know, the engines just aren't holding up. Well, no, it's not really the, like, cause in Europe, people know that, yeah, you got to use the clutch, got to use yeah. the clutch to get like a good shift. Um, so they don't have many problems over there, honestly. And over here, everybody seems to have problems because everybody's used to riding these dirt bikes that you can just bang the transmission. You don't, you don't have to use the clutch to downshift half the time. Like when I have a, right. I have a TTR 125 flat track bike and I mean, I can downshift without the clutch, you know? So, Oh yeah, it, you could uh, do it. <laughs> yeah. Not, not that it's good for it, but, right. you can do it. and, uh, but these are even worse, you know, like you you have to, it's like anything, you just have to know what you can and can't do on it and ride accordingly. Like same way with like the, the new triumphs in moto two. Like I know, that even those bikes like Triumph tells riders not to over rev them on downshifts because they'll blow the engines, you know? So it's the same thing. Like you have there, you have a, you know, a, a Moto2 level bike that still people are being told, Hey, you got to treat it this way to get longevity out of it. And these are the same way. You just have to, you have to ride them accordingly. And uh, remember that the engines for what they are, they're, they're cheap. Uh, you know, they're, they're not really expensive engines, but they require some finessing in terms of how you ride them. And uh, what size tires does these do these have? Ten inch tires. Ten yeah. inch tires, front and rear. And uh, are you going through tires like on the big bikes or at least the six hundreds? I was doing three sets of tires or three tires a weekend, so two rears and a front for like Wera. Um, oh yeah, no, I mean you could probably. I mean, I think the kids at the Mini Cup are using a little bit more than like on average, but I mean, on average, like a set of tires like the PMTs that come standard on them. Um, I mean, they'll last kids anywhere from 10 to 20 hours of riding. Okay. Which is so quite a while. A ton of riding. Yeah, yeah. It's not like, I mean, that's on a mini, that's a lot of riding, <laughs> you know? So, and a set of tires is like 200 some dollars, you know, where as opposed to like $400 for a big bike. Exactly. Um, I know that too, you know, from my racing, like it's, it's just astronomical what you spend on tires. So that's why I always, you know, kind of joke, like if, parents get in or getting into it and their kids really like into the racing and they, they love the sport, but then they're, if they're kind of taken aback by the price of mini racing, like you might want to, you know, stop while you're ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is the cheap way to do it for sure. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, I've stopped motorcycle racing, uh, unfortunately just because of money, it's like so many other people yeah. and I've gotten into mountain bike racing in the meantime. Oh, yeah. Um, that's been a great, uh, ch challenge for myself and change because those guys, uh, they have a way better engine than I do. And I could never get my engine as good as theirs, but you know, yeah, no, I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge cyclist as well, mountain biker and uh, road biker. And, um, but I, I, I never got into it. I did like one race one time and I, uh, actually I did it with a bunch of friends and I, the start of the race, I like took off and I was like, got the whole shot and I led for like, I don't know how long, like maybe a half mile, but then. I'd never done a race before and I like bonked out like right? <laughs> I said like maybe like a third away in the race I literally, literally everybody just 
past me. I was like in last by the like you know by the third of the race, I was in last. Yeah, it's uh, really different. You got to pace yourself. You can't just right. go all out the whole time. So those guys do if you're if you're conditioned for it, but most oh, people yeah. aren't. Yeah, no, I'm just a I'm just a rec- I'm a fitness do it for fitness and recreation. That's about it. I don't I don't I don't I'm not really into the competition stuff anymore. That's good. You're focusing on the business side of things. It seems like yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> yep, I know how that goes. I've been I've been doing about a thousand miles of cycling and running for the past eight years or so, um, but. I'm not super competitive right now. I'm just trying to focus on my business, trying to focus on ericswanracing.com and trying to just, I, I sell things online. So kind of right. like what you're okay. doing, e-commerce, yeah. um, and just trying to get as many things online as I can from dropship vendors around the country and right. and uh, sell some products. Yeah, yeah, cool, cool. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, um, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a journey starting this. You know, I was, you know, racing, full time for a while. And then, uh, you know, that all kind of fell apart, um, due to some unfortunate circumstances. And then, um, you know, I was kind of figuring out what to do and the volley thing kind of, uh, didn't really land in my lap. Like I, I, I learned about it and then, you know, whenever and met with them through a mutual friend who introduced me to the, the owner and, um, you know, just kind of went from there and somehow here I am, <laughs> you know, I, I, I never really thought it would go to this extent. Like, Oh, we always talked about it, me and my business partner my best friend that started the business with me and um you know it's just been uh yeah it's been a a, an interesting snowball of a journey for sure so tell me about how this business looks from the outside do you have like a dealership do you have a showroom with bikes everywhere or is this out of your house for now no i honestly just work out of my house because it's mainly like i we obviously go to the moto america events and i usually like usually pick like a few events every year where we're like, I like to go to now, obviously after COVID happened, like that's changed drastically. Like before we went, we would always, we would, we would go to Coda for the MotoGP round. And that was like, I mean, a killer event for us. Like I remember the first year, 2019, we were there and um, you know, it was just, we were, we had people at our booth from eight in the morning until like seven thirty at night. Like we wow. were just, we had no time to even talk to everybody. Yeah. So I'm like, it's, it is, a, it's such a shame that things are the way they are right now, because like, you know, I know we're not the only ones that were affected by that, um, you know, but missing out on stuff like that, it's, you know, it's a big thing to miss out on. Um, but yeah, I just, uh, I, we mainly ship the bikes directly to the customers because um, I've found through figuring out like the different, looking at it from different cost perspectives is it's actually more cost effective for the customer if they have the bike built at the factory and then it's shipped directly to their house via DHL Air because, um, you know, like right now, for example, the cost for me to ship a bike from the factory to a customer's address is anywhere from nine hundred to like eleven hundred dollars. Oh, geez. Whereas if I ship it to America, it has to come and then it would come in a container. If I say if I got like I don't know, like forty bikes in a container, brought them here, it would cost me about like I don't know, hundred dollars a bike or something like that. Okay. And then when they're shipped from, say, I have a warehouse here that holds 40 bikes, then I'm paying rent on a big warehouse to hold all those bikes. And then to ship a bike from a warehouse to any, like California, for example, you're talking six to $800 domestic shipping. Yeah. So like it, it's all, it all just comes, it comes out to a wash. And this allows that when they're built at the factory, they can like get stuff installed at the factory for free. Like they can get the right spring rates. They can get a slipper clutch. They can get all the stuff and they can get custom paint work, custom graphics, whatever they want. And it's all done at the factory when they build the bike. So really it's like 
you know, if you had to do that here, like I'd have to do, I'd have to, or I'd have to hire someone to install that stuff, which would add more cost onto the cost of the bike. So a lot of people all like, I want to come see one first. I want to, you know, do you have dealers, even dealers, like we have a few across the country, but even that I found it's like not really advantageous. Like it, it's, it's not bad uh, to have people out there promoting your brand, obviously, but um, the, our margins aren't really good enough where we can afford to split the margin and still reinvest money in the sport, you know? So that's like, it's always like, there's a trade-off there because I know if I, if I give up my margin, then the dealer that's selling the bike, probably not going to put that money that he made off the, the little money he made. He's not going to go back and say, okay, well, I'm going to go and sponsor the local race organization, you know? Um, so that's my big focus is like, you know, obviously I need to, you know, attempt to earn a living. Um, and also I want to reinvest money back in the sport and, you know, do what we've been doing and growing it. And that takes, you know, it takes money. So um, yeah. you know, obviously we have to, you know, keep, you know, keep the business, you know, somewhat closed a little bit and make sure that we can afford to do all that stuff. Um, but that's why one way I kind of help get bikes out there for people to see is I, you know, I work with pretty much every mini, mini organization in the country. And we usually do like at least one loaner bike for either every organization. Okay. So basically like, every mini organization around the country will have something that if people are like in that general area or if people already race with them, they can see it in person. They can demo it. They can rent it for the day. Yeah. Do whatever they want. I let all the mini orgs, you know, manage it themselves. And then we sell those demo bikes off every year. That's awesome. I mean, you got to pick and choose what you want to do. You can't do everything. Right. Yeah. No, it's tough, man. I want to do everything. <laughs> yeah. So I, I try like, that's probably why I haven't made any money in the past three years. Cause I'm always trying to like, just, just keep it rolling and you know build it faster because if you i think with this when we started this i just knew like if i tried to slow roll it it would never take foot here it would never really kind of you know catch people so that's why we just kind of went like really hard with it um because we knew that you know things this would be a tough market only because people are so used to what they're used to you know everybody's used to the the dirt bikes and you know all this you know supermotors and all this stuff this is very new for the u.s and people are like, you know, embracing it now with, you know, the Moto America stuff and, and the new bike, the new GP2 that came out, which is geared more towards adults. So that's a 12 inch wheel bike. And it's a little bit bigger, more comfortable for adults. And uh, we, we tested, we had two out in California that we tested back in uh, uh, early February. And yeah, I mean, the bike is like, out, it's out of this world phenomenal. Like it's, uh, it's what everybody kind of wanted. Like all the adults that got the original Ovali. Yeah. And they're all like, they love everyone, all, everyone that rides it loved it. But after a while, you like, you usually rode it for as long as you could ride it until like, you're like, oh, yeah, it's starting to feel a little cramped or whatever. Um, and it had like some different handling characteristics that were good, um, but it like had some twitchiness about it on the 190. Uh, that is now the GP2 kind of just solved every, every, you know, complaint for lack of a better word that people had about the old bike. And it, yeah, to me, it's just a, it's a phenomenal bike. And we've already, we've taken a ton of pre-orders. I think Ovali's taken probably over 300 orders around the 300 to 400 orders around the world. And no one's ever seen the bike or no one's ever rode it. You know, ever, yeah. people have seen the videos we posted, but we were the first ones to actually get bikes to test and ride. That's awesome. So, and there's yeah. a, a couple of different models. You have the 110, the 160 with the 190. I think there's a 212. Uh, the, the 212 is no longer available, but it's based, that was basically just a 190 with a big bore kit. Okay. So you, you can still buy the big bore kit. Um, honestly, I don't think they're really 
you know, that they're a little bit better. Um, it's mostly like low end torque. That's all it does for you. It's not like that much better. Um, so there's the, the GP zeros with the 10 inch wheels. It's the 110, 160, 190. And then the GP two is only available in the 190 and that has 12 inch wheels. Okay. You know, get better, uh, rolling resistance over things, get, get over rocks and things better with the bigger wheels. Yeah. And it's honestly just, it, it just mellowed out the whole handling of the bike. You know, it just made the bike, it, it almost, it just feels more like a big bike, but a mini. I don't know, it's hard to explain. Like if you've ever ridden on a volley, it's very like the old ones felt like that, but the new one is like, you know, it just feels like, yeah, I mean, it's just super fun to ride. Everybody that rode it at our test, we had like a bunch of editors out there from magazines like Rennie Skaysbrook, Michael Gilbert, uh, Troy Sihan, um, Jeremy Toy, and then, uh, you know, Sean Dylan Kelly was out there. He tested on them, uh, Max Toth, like a bunch of riders came out. And um, yeah, I mean, everybody that rode it was like, yeah, this is, uh, yeah, it's just, they just loved it. So I've seen uh, MotoGP riders on it. Uh, Daniel oh, yeah. Petrucci. Yeah. Yeah. All the guys have them. Jack Miller just got like three of the new GP twos. Um, you know, we work with, uh, Aleish Santa Cruz, who's the team trainer for factory Yamaha, but he also, tra he trains like Jack Miller, Marcel Schroeder, Garrett Gerloff. He trains all these guys and, um, he has, uh, five of the new GP twos. Now they just got delivered the other day. So they use them for like training camps. Um, you know, he does everything from motocross. He does, you know, he's a, a kind of like the perfect model of, uh, you know, how you properly train like a world-class you know, road racer. Cause he, he's all about like the cross training. Like they get on the minis, you know, for a couple of days, then they'll do motocross and they'll do flat track. Then they're, you know, up in the mountains, you know, right now doing uh, cross country skiing, like they do everything, you know, just <laughs> yeah. the, always cross training, you know, learning different, you know, different, um, you know, muscle memories and skills. And so if someone was asking, what's the difference between a 50 and your bike, uh, what makes it so much better? Um, I mean, everything, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's not even like a comparison, you know, like, like a CRF 50 or whatever, like it's not, I mean, it's just a totally different thing. You know what I mean? It's not even, it's not even really a comparison. I mean, it's just, it's a proper road race bike. You know, the fifties are fun. If you want to you know, I know you guys have actually have a pretty popular um, indoor uh, uh, winter riding thing up in Michigan area. Um, and I know a lot, of, a lot of guys ride 50s there. But like I said, they're, you know, they're fun. They are what they are, but they're still, it's not a, it's not a road race bike, you know? So it's, it's just the whole dynamic of, you know, braking and handling and everything about it's different. Suspension, the frame, the chassis is actually more yeah. pliable and it, it works like a, you know, it's not a dirt bike. That's it's a different uh, category. Right. right. Like, so if, I mean, if I was going to go like, for example, you know, if you ride a, you know, TTR, like a lot of the TTR 125 is just a, I use that as an example because it's a really popular bike in, mini, in the mini racing world. Like a lot of adults ride them, even kids were getting on them for a long time. And, you know, it's just not, if you're going to go race flat track, they build into decent flat track bikes, but like if you were, you would never take a sport bike and turn it into a flat track bike. You know what I mean? So like, why are people taking trail bikes and turning them into road race bikes? Like they're not, that's not what they are, you know? Yeah. So, you know, to try to say, oh, well, this is, you know, this is good. It's just not, that's not what, if we ever want to have like just a, a world class level of like competition and racing here and riders, like we have to change the mindset. Um, and, you know, hopefully this kind of leads to that. I think people are just using the cheapest tool because that's the cheapest tool, but not yeah. the best tool that's available. Right. Exactly. And I understand that, you know, obviously like, 
you know, cost is always a concern. And, um, you know, I, but at the end of the day, I think the Avalis aren't, I don't, I think what you're getting out of it is there, there are, they aren't that expensive in my opinion. Like, I think, you know, they're, especially like if you start a kid, if you're a kid six years old, for example, and you would go out and buy an Avali 110 four speed, like that kid can ride that same bike until he's 14 years old because you can swap in a 160 engine. Yeah. So, and even like, later because adults are riding those, maybe he'll right, move up yeah, to a 190. Know. But. He can keep that. He can keep that for you know. He or she could keep that for years and ride it. So it depends when you get into it. Like if you get them into it young, then I mean they have one bike they can ride for you know quite a quite a long time, um, and then eventually they can step up to a one nine. You know, get another one ninety or step up to that. So I mean, yeah, I think in the grand scheme of things, I really don't think they're that um, they're that expensive for what they are. Uh, you know, I think you're getting a lot for your for your money, and you're getting to be involved with you know, something that gives them more opportunity, like a kid, a little bit more opportunity to learn and, you know, compete at a higher level and just, you know, and at the end of the day, help grow the sport because let's face it, like if there would never be a Moto America mini cup or any kind of like, you know, right now, Dorna just partnered with Avali and Avali is the official bike for the mini GP world series. And that would have never happened with TTR 125s. Sure. You know, like, cause nobody like, like I said, I have TTR 125s. I love them. They're I'm not they're amazing bikes for flat track or for other things, you know. Um, but no one wants to see a bunch of kids racing around a, a cart track on dirt bikes. You know, that's just not. It's, I always tell people it's not like sexy. You know, it's not like interesting to watch. Where if you see a bunch of kids on a volley, it's like when we were at like all the races we were at this past year, like Road America was a great one uh, for the mini cup because it was just tons of fans there and everybody was coming up they were like this is awesome like this is exactly what we need here and like everybody i mean there was no shortage of people coming up to us and saying that so you know if people if there were a bunch of kids out there on dirt bikes i can assure you nobody would have done that they would have been like they, i mean they would maybe would have watched it for a little bit but then been like yeah whatever like it, it's not interesting you know it's, it's just totally it's different they've never seen yeah. little kids like that on road race bikes before right right so and people, uh when they first starting out, um, I think one of your bikes is automatic. Is that right? Yeah. So they they do have uh, an a 110 automatic, which is popular in Europe. Uh, it's not really taken off here in America. Like we've sold a few. It is a good starter bike for kids, um, and that's the same way. Like if you start out with a 110 automatic, you can go up to a 110 four speed, 160 with the same chassis. So it is like I think it's a really good platform because you're investing in it once, but then you can like upgrade it. You know. Yeah. Um, now the, the 110 automatics are popular like in Europe also at like cart tracks, like cart tracks will have them for rent, which like in America, that's like unheard of like renting bikes at a cart track. Um, now we've tried to go down the road with a few places where there are, there's one in Texas, uh, actually I have a dealer in Texas, one of the few, and they have a track at their dealership actually, 11 Motorsports, and they have a couple 110 automatics that they rent out and they do day, days like that with. And I, I personally think the 110 automatics are just like so much fun to ride because, but they're only fun if you have a bunch of people on the one, if you have a bunch of people on them. Yeah. yeah if you're trying to like ride them with other bikes, they just, they suck because they're not like anywhere remotely competitive. Um, right. But if you have like a bunch of, like if I was on a track and we had six other friends with one ton of Max, oh, it'd be so much fun. I feel like uh, you should try to get someone to sell all these bikes as fleets to tr cart tracks. Like you can That's, tell. I, we've, we've tried to do that. Yeah, it's just, it's tough because America is not like a motorcycle centric society. 
So like when you go to most cart tracks, I mean, they don't want any, they don't even know the first thing about motorcycles like that. They're regard, like much less, Oh, I, I'm going to buy bikes to rent here. You know what I mean? Um, and there's a whole thing of like, since most people aren't really exposed to motorcycles in the U S like they are in Italy or anywhere else where even people, people even at least know how to ride a scooter. Um, you know, so you could go to any track in Italy and like people that most people can at least ride a scooter and you can get on a one ton automatic and, fumble your way around and have some fun we're in america like it's such a huge liability concern and everybody's like you know everybody sues everybody for everything here in this country so you know i think it's that's a big you know a big turnoff for most people when i i have had that conversation with cart tracks and you know a few of them yeah there's there's some discussions here and there but most of them are you know they just don't know motorcycles you know so they don't you know they don't even go down want to go down that road i feel like the only ones that might be interested are already like united states pro kart series tracks like uh like pittsburgh pittsburgh international race complex that's a cart uh u.s cart track yeah yeah i mean they and that's a fun that we go there obviously for the mini cup and they have i mean that's a phenomenal kart track um, yeah yeah i've never talked to them about you know uh buying i know the owners there. i've never talked to them about buying bikes um I'm not sure if they would get into that or not but yeah it's a good uh you know it i think it's a it's a good thing to open up it's just I think it's tough for a cart track business because they like they do do really well with carts. You know, carts are always like you can rent cart to anybody. You know, right. so it's that's an easy uh, you know or the ROI is pretty easy to figure out. Whereas the bikes, it's a little bit like oh I don't know like how you know how much are we really gonna be able to do with this? Yeah, it's an unknown. Yeah, and unknown. if you have someone show up who has zero experience, like what do you do? Do you turn them away? Do you is someone there to kind of show them how to do it? Like I, it's that's a tough one, you know. You just need on-hand lessons at all times. Right. Yeah. That <laughs> just adds more cost to the overall thing. So it's a that's a it's a tough one. I get it. Like I've had the conversation and it's a tough sell, but um, you know, hopefully eventually we we can go down that road here in this in this country. Or at yeah, least for sure. Part, at least some parts of it, anyways. Well, I hope you do because I'd love to go to a place and just ride ride their bikes and have a blast with it. Because right. there would be so many, so many of my friends who would just love to do that. Yeah. And then once, honestly, the one time I'm max, I mean, they're like bulletproof because there is no clutch. There's no gears. So, I mean, there's nothing you can really break on them, you know? So like the, even for like the, 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 the people riding them, it's great. Cause you can just, you know, ride the hell out of them. The car track, it's great. Cause the maintenance costs are like, you know, super low. You just tires and, you know, oil, right. um, and, you know, occasional crash damage, but yeah, I mean, they're, yeah, they're, they're, they're really great, really great platforms. And uh, some people are opting for full leathers and some people are opting for like a motocross gear on cart tracks. Um, yeah. And I mean, on the volleys in America, anyways, it's all pretty much leathers. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty rare. I see anybody in like a motocross gear. I mean, you do see occasionally like supermoto guys wear like motocross gear on cart tracks, but yeah, I mean, I, even when I was like, you know, I, I ridden some supermoto before I always wore leathers, you know, if you're on like a proper cart track, because you know, that you're, if you crash on asphalt with just motocross gear, I mean, you would tear, tear everything up. So, right. yeah, I mean, generally it's pretty much only leathers. Yeah. Yeah. The ground hurts. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, if you were motocross gear, then you're having to add all the pads underneath anyways. So it's like, why not just put on some leathers? <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, let's talk about your, your distinguished racing career for a second. You did uh, some international races that are pretty famous. Yeah, I've done a little bit of everything. <laughs> you know, I, uh, I've been pretty fortunate with um, what I got to do. You know, I started off, you know, I started off just, you know, normal club racing, like, you know, most people here. And I, I, um, you know, what I, I saw that, you know, my, my big history, you know, most people know is the TT when I raced the TT. Um, 
you know, I, I saw that one day, you know, actually I was recovering from an injury and I, um, you know, just saw it and became like obsessed with it. And, you know, I said, I'm going to do that one day and nobody believed me. Everybody said, you know, you'll never do that. And, uh, you know, three years later I started my first TT. So, you know, I'm kind of like a perfect example of, you know, someone who can, you know, I didn't come from a racing family. I didn't come from money or anything. And I was able to kind of make it happen. So, you know, it's a good example of like, if you really want to do something, you can do it. Um, you know, so I raced the, raced the TT for seven years, uh, raced Macau for four years, um, did the Northwest 200 twice, the Ulster Grand Prix twice. Uh, and then after I quit racing the roads, I did a season in Moto America. And that's when I like, I had a, you know, a really fortunate opportunity to race full time for a while. And, uh, I did Moto America for season, which was a disaster of a season. It wouldn't really go that well. And um, then I did World Endurance for um, like a season and a half to two seasons. It was, I did one full season and a couple races here and there. Um, and that was really good. That was like, besides the TT, I was probably like my favorite, you know, years of racing I ever had. It was just like, you know, just such a cool paddock. Yeah. Really cool experience getting to do like Le Mans 24 hour and Suzuka and all that. Like it was just, you know, it was a dream come true for sure. It feels like it's kind of like the pinnacle because you have all these people who are um, maybe retired professionals who are very, very talented with lots of money sometimes. And it's the best of the best. And who can do it for the longest period of time without crashing at, oh, yeah. at, at the I, fastest pace, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's unbelievable, man. The, the level that like the top guys that race world endurance, like the, 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 the level that they ride at for as long as they do it for, like, I'm always like, like I'm blown away, you know, because yeah. they're on like, you know, lap record pace, you know, every stint for, you know, 24, you know, at the Le Mans, like 24 hours at night, like Sheridan Marias, he's a good friend of mine. And I remember like every year at Le Mans, like he would be usually like the fastest rider at night. And like, he would always set like one of, usually, I think most times he would always set his best lap of the entire race, like at like three in the morning, you know, <laughs> and I'm like, every time I've done in world, like a world endurance race, anytime like the light goes down, like I would always like wind up being like two seconds slower. Really? Cause I just like, yeah. I've struggled to like adapt to the nighttime, like in terms of my pace, like just with, you know, seeing your markers and just everything, like it always made me slow down. Yeah. Um, so I was always really impressed by the riders who were able to like, you know, run at that pace, like all throughout the night. It's almost like they only look at certain spots. They don't, they don't focus on anything else but those oh, yeah. those few spots, right? And, that, and that's what makes the difference between me and someone like that. You know, they're yeah. you know they're just another level. You know, they're not. That's why they're you know professionals for a lifetime, and you know they they do what they do. So yeah, and it's it's always humbling to hear like uh, even you saying, "Oh, there's another level of guys you know ahead of me that I, you can't touch." It's it's oh, always no. it's always yeah. steps. Oh yeah. And you know, they're, yeah, it's just, it's just crazy. And I, like I said, I, even I'm like at the bottom, you know, that level I'm at the bottom, you know? So it's like, there was guys, you know, even the guys on the other, you know, privateer teams were just, you know, really talented guys. So then when, you know, you look at, you know, when I was at Suzuka, I got to ride, you know, I would say I got to ride, I got to share the track with, you know, like Jack Miller and Alex Lowe's and all, you know, all these riders. Johnny Ray. Yeah. Johnny Ray was like all these riders. It's just some, you know, so when they go by you, like you, I, like endurance racing you just learn so much because like for like Suzuka was a great example like that's one race where I like had like kind of a breakthrough in my riding where I like I just felt like I really like things really clicked for me and like how to push you know really push a bike and um I remember like just being passed by these guys like every lap I'd be passed by some other world-class riders so you'd like every turn you're being passed someone where you can learn something you know yeah 
So you do that for eight hours, or I mean, not eight, like I did, like, you know, I think I had three stints when I raced Suzuka. And yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, you learn so much, you know, and then you can't, you'll never, you can't ever replace that kind of, you know, first, you know, front seat learning, you know, it's like, it's not, it can't be done. <laughs> yeah. For people who don't race or don't uh, ride on the track very often, every time you're, anytime you're behind someone who's an expert or better than you, you can learn from them. You can watch them right in front of you, right. see what they're doing seeing their yeah. line choice, their body position, their breaking points, all these oh, yeah. things are, are helpful uh, things to pick up on. And when you got the best in the world going by you all day, um, right. it kind of stinks sometimes. And sometimes I'm sure it's hard to pick your line because it's like, I got four guys coming by me. You can hear them in, in the back of you. You don't want to hold them up. Yeah. Um, I mean, I never had that it, with those guys. I mean, it was like just such a non-issue because you knew like they would just pass you in places where like, I don't even know how you did that. You know? So like, you just had to be very like comfortable with like, okay, like I'm out here with these guys. I know they're going to pass me like wherever they see a state. I mean, to them, it's safe for me. Some occasionally it was, it was, you know, I'll get spooked because I'm like, I don't even know how you made that happen. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, for sure. Like you just, you know, there's always something to learn, um, you know? So if you ever go to the track and you're not there, like trying to, you know, someone passes you, if you're shaking your head, you know, you, you shouldn't be doing that. You should be like, okay, where, what, what are they doing that I'm not doing? What, you know, what can I learn right now in this split second? What can I learn? Yeah. And I guess, what would you say to newer racers or track day riders who are looking to go racing, who are scared of people whizzing by them like that? Yeah. I think you just have to get really, it's all about like confidence and being comfortable um and relaxed i think that's the biggest thing i that's one of the biggest things i ever learned about like riding a motorcycle is the more relaxed you are the 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 better you'll be riding the the less tired you'll get and the faster you'll go you know if you're out there fighting all the time and you're you know just like you know gripping the handlebars really tightly and you're always like you know the more relaxed you are the the better rider you'll be like tenfold um you know so that's that's my biggest advice is just go out there, like relax. And, um, and you know, you do, I, I think one important thing is to also like cross train. Like if you really want to take like your riding seriously, you got to cross train on anything, two wheels, you know, like bicycles, you know, flat track motor, you know, motocross, whatever your, whatever you can be comfortable with is what you should be out there trying because, um, you know, it all translates and the more comfortable you are on a motorcycle, the more comfortable you'll be with like people, you know, passing you. And then, cause you won't be worried about like, oh, will I be able to control this? If like, you know, if I get spooked, am I, I'm not going to just grab my brake or, you know, do something, you know, silly. I'm going to know that I just have to, you know, maintain my line, stay calm and just keep riding. I guess the fear comes from not knowing, not knowing right. what's going to happen. Right. Yeah. And at the end of the day, none of us know what's going to happen. So, you know, <laughs> you just come take what, what gets thrown at you and hopefully you get through it. Right. Right. <laughs> um so uh anything you wanted to talk about today anything on your mind uh no i just wanted to yeah kind of plug the moto america the mini cup you know where we expanded it to uh five rounds this year so we have road america the ridge um or no four rounds sorry moto america the ridge pittsburgh and barber okay um, with them and that's part of the new um well it's not official yet, but so Dorna just recently announced the new FIM uh, Mini GP World Series, which all of the countries around the world who want to be a part of it still have to go through an application process. Uh, we're pretty confident that the Mini Cup will be in part of this program, but basically it's focused on the 160 class, 
So the top riders from the countries around the world that are chosen to be part of this program uh, in their respective championships, you know, in their country, uh, we're not sure if it'd be the, just the winner or the top two or three yet, but the top rider or riders will get to go to a final event uh, alongside MotoGP at Valencia at the end of the year. Awesome. So it'll be at, it'll be at like the Valencia Kart Track, like in front of MotoGP, in front of the world. And, um, you know, the kids will get to, you know, do a race there on the Avalis. And then the winner or the top riders from that will then get a chance to race uh, in the following year in their like respective talent cup, you know, whether it's the European talent cup, Northern talent cup, Asia talent cup, or British talent cup. All right. And hopefully like- in America we can start a American talent cup because the, uh, the current, you know, the, the current format with the junior cup, I, you know, in my opinion is uh, kind of a, a silly format because I know what some of these kids are having to, you know, parents are going to pay for their kids' bikes for the junior cup to race like a, you know, a street bike, you know, and that's like, it's like a commuter bike, you know, it's not even, it's not a proper bike. Um, you know, I know some of these 400s are costing like 20 to $25,000 for Moto America. And that's just, that's crazy to me. So, you know, hopefully we can, um, yeah, hopefully we can see, you know, maybe some change there and uh, start like a proper talent cup. Um, you know, we import the the, the new Aprilia RS250 SP. We also import that, um, which is, Avali actually builds them for Aprilia. Okay. So um, we're hoping, you know, we're, we're really trying to start something with those bikes and start like a proper talent cup, American talent cup for kids in America. And you think uh, being on an Aprilia RS250 would be a better chassis and a learning platform than like a Ninja 400? Absolutely. Without a doubt. Yeah. I mean, they're like, everybody's ridden it. I mean, they're proper, they're like a proper chassis, a proper bike. Yeah. Um, you know, are, are they a RS250 or NSF250? No, they're not that level. They're like, you know, maybe a step down from like an RS250, um, which is, you know, again, like that's like the, that is the bike, you know, for racing like a, a talent, you know, a talent cup type of format. Um, but those bikes are obviously a lot more expensive and the maintenance schedules are a lot higher. So we're, the RS250 is a lot cheaper. You know, they start at uh, like around 13 grand, like all in. Yeah. And that gets, I mean, that, that's ready to go. You don't have to do anything to it. You don't need suspension. You don't need it. You don't need anything. You know, it's all, it's all ready to go. And, um, you know, the maintenance schedules are way lower. The engine, like even a, a brand new engine is only like 1800 bucks. So, yeah. you know, it's just super affordable for what it, you know, for what it is compared to, you know, these uh, 400s and 300s, which, you know, get, are, get pretty pricey um, by the time you buy them and build them. So yeah, we're hoping, we're hope, hopeful that we can do something there. You know, we'll see where it goes. Do you expect to have any sort of competition from Kawasaki, Honda, Yamaha, Ducati, Aprilia with these type of bikes in this CC range? Um, I don't, I mean, you never know. I mean, I'm not any of these companies. I mean, I obviously Honda has the NSF 100 that they used to, they still make in Japan. I think you can still get one there, um, but they're quite, they're quite expensive. And for what they are, they're not like as, um, yeah, for the price, they're not, you know, the comparison really isn't there with Ovali, but, um, and with the new Dorna partnership, like Dorna has selected Ovali as the, the bike for their, you know, for the mini GP world championship. So that kind of does give us some, you know, solid ground for a while in terms of like competition. Um, obviously you never know what people are doing. Um, there are some manufacturers out there that I, like the ones you mentioned, I don't have too much of a concern about, but there's one out there that I, you know, I'm always like, Oh, you know, if they get involved, you know, we'll see, but, um, you know, right now we have a good thing going and, um, you know, Volley puts a lot back into the sport, which I think, you know, is something to be said 
for what we do, you know, with, um, you know, Italy and us here, like we, we do a lot to promote and help the sport grow. So I think people, I think a lot of people recognize that and that helps us and that even other manufacturers, like I've been approached by at Motor America and by guys, you know, that work for Yamaha or Kawasaki and they all love what we're doing. Yeah, that's good. So, you know, they don't, they don't look at it as like, Hey, you're, you know, we need to figure out how to fight you guys. Like they look at it more of like, at least from my experience so far, they've always been like, this is really good for the sport and good to get new people riding. Yeah, Which well, I, I would think that it'd be a benefit if Yamaha got into it or you know, like I would think competition would be a good thing because they're saying, oh, look, there's a market here, um, you know, I, it, it is and it is. I mean, right now it's kind of a bad thing because there isn't enough market to go around, at least in America. Anyways, there's a this is like a very a small like mini racing kids getting involved in road racing is still very small, whereas like you have like kids motocross, which is huge in America. So for sure, you can have like good competition with all the various options out there. Now, obviously, KTM and Husqvarna are like destroying everybody in that market for sure. But, um, you know, I think the market's small right now. So they almost need it to like, okay, we need to like build this before everyone's trying to pick at every little piece of the market. And then if you do that too much, then you won't have any, there's no money to go around to reinvest in it and grow it. So it's like, there's a, there's a fine line between competition you know, breeding excellence, as they would say, and competition kind of destroying what, what opportunities there were. Right. Yeah. You so, can have like, too many of a good thing, right? Like right, right now with the pandemic, all these restaurants are closing. Maybe there were too many restaurants before. So maybe we're going to hit the equilibrium, whatever that number is. Yeah, maybe that's like, that's a real, I've always said that too, where I, where, you know, where we live, there's like tons of re, like little restaurants. And I'm always like, how do these people, like, how do they have enough business? How do they, how do they stay yeah. open? Whatever. And then maybe this is like the, the great reset that, you know, that we need. I don't know. I mean, I feel bad for everybody out there that's, you know, going through bad times, but you know, it's, that's just the way of the world, you know, things happen and you know, the, everyone moves on. So we'll see where it all, we'll see where the, the cards land, you know? For sure. So uh, tell me about uh, future plans for you. What you got going on next and uh, coming up? Uh, yeah, I mean, this year we're just doing the um, the mini cup, just trying to, you know, getting the new GP2s out there. Um, we're actually importing, we just signed on and we're going to be importing KYT helmets, which are big in Europe and Asia. Um, and they are obviously really pre um, prevalent in MotoGP in the paddock. Uh, a lot of professional riders wear them in MotoGP. So bringing in KYT helmets into America. Um, and we also, I don't know if you, I'm sure you, like when you watch MotoGP, you see the riders on the grid where they're sitting on the grid and they wear these neck wraps to keep yeah. cool. Uh, they're made by RHT Cold, which is a girl in Spain. Um, and she has the patent for the gel that's inside. And it's a, it's a really interesting product because you don't actually need to refrigerate it or freeze it. You put it on at like ambient temp, you leave it like in the shade, you don't let it sit out in the sun, but you put it on and actually cools you and dissipates heat from your body without having to refrigerate it or put it in the refrigerator oh cool or, or the freezer so it's actually a really really cool product so we're gonna we're, we're starting to sell those uh shortly um and obviously all the MotoGP guys use them a lot of world superbike guys use them um and they none of them like they all use it because like it helps them you know not because she pays them any money so um you know it's a, it's a cool product and we're hopeful of that kind of yeah there's a lot of other applications for that I and mean, that could go into anything you know any sports any you know, any anything Oh yeah. Uh, so it's a, that's a cool product that we're going to involved with. Um, yeah. And just, uh, you know, I also do, um, motorcycle tours in Thailand. I mean, my business partner are in a business over there. So we do, uh, 
off-road and on-road tours uh, usually like November, December, January-ish timeframe. So we have like a shop over there. We have our own bikes. We got all our own, we got a nice setup. Um, obviously the pandemic has put a halt to that for a while, but um, we're, we're looking forward to like the world getting back to normal so we can start up tours again. And that's just thailandmototours.com if anybody you know wants to check it out. But yeah, we've had like, you know, a lot of, yeah, people, people love the tours. So if you ever want to go ride somewhere cool, that's the place to do it. That sounds like a blast. I'm probably going to call you one day and ask for a tour. Yeah, it's, I uh, dude, it's, uh, that's, that's my, that's me and my business partner. That's like our real passion, like doing Thailand, tours in Thailand. Like we, if I can do that, you know, as much as I love, you know, volleys and road racing, like if I could just do tours in Thailand and riding dirt bikes, I would do that all the time. <laughs> so you're on uh, dual sports or what kind of bikes you're riding? CRF 250Ls um, okay. because they're, they're actually made in Thailand. So uh, they're super easy to get parts for and maintain there and everything. And honestly, because our, our off-road, we use them for our on-road and off-road tours. Um, but the off-road, we put, you know, knobbies on it. We like, you know, get them set up for off-road. Um, but everybody kind of like, you know, gives us an eye when they, when we tell them what kind of bikes we're using, because most people are used to riding like KTMs or whatever. Um, and we always say, look, just, you know, just, just try it, you know, you have tr just trust us. And after a week of riding there, everybody's like, I wouldn't run and ride any other bike. Like they are just the best bikes to ride there. And they, they honestly do so well. Like, and we take people on every kind of terrain you can imagine from sand to river crossings to, you know, hill climbs we do a little bit of everything on the tour and um, on the off-road tour anyways. And yeah, I mean, the bikes are just, I mean, they're really, really phenomenal, like all around good bikes. Like they're, they work really well. And uh, obviously you could bring your own bike, but they're provided for you. Uh, well, if you wanted to ship a bike to Thailand, I guess it's good. <laughs> you know, for the price, I would say no. I mean, the tour, our tour is only 2,500 bucks. So it's pretty affordable for anybody that doesn't, that includes everything except your flight. Okay. So you know, it's, it's, it's not, not a bad price, you know, when you get in a bike and fuel and hotel and food and everything paid for, for that price. Um, but yeah, it's uh We've had like Colin Edwards has been out with us. Um, Letitia Klein, who's, you know, she was big in the motorcycle industry um, uh, for a while. Um, you know, we've had a lot of, a lot of motorcycle, you know, industry people out with us and they all just, you know, everybody's loved it. And um, yeah, it's, that's our, that's definitely our passion for sure. And how many days is that for, for that price? Uh, it's seven, basically it's five days of riding, but it's seven days total. Okay. Yeah. That's pretty fun. And, and uh, Northern, Northern Thailand up around Chiang Mai. So it's, yeah, it's just a beautiful part of Thailand. People are amazing. The food's amazing. Call everything about it. It's just, uh, you can't beat it. Is it uh pretty mountainous over there or? Yeah. Northern Thailand is really mountainous. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, even the road tour, it's, I always tell people it's basically like a supermoto track for five days. <laughs> like the road is just like, I mean, it's just insane. All over the place. But, yeah, wow. it's hard even, it's hard. Like if you think of like the tail of the dragon, but like for five days straight. <laughs> so everybody's in the in the middle of the road honking going all all over the place yeah it gets kind of wild yeah the, the we always have to give people a little uh a little stern talking to at the start of every tour like hey this is the do's and don'ts of you know riding in thailand because it's uh it's definitely a shocker for some yeah. people that aren't used to it it's uh it's you got to kind of work your way into it <laughs> <laughs> yeah you got to flow with traffic yeah yeah um yeah, it's not America. You can't just do what you want. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, so uh, you've already said a few things, but where are you online? Where can people find Rise Moto and Ovale and uh, Thailand tours and all that stuff? Just uh, risemoto.com for all of our stuff related to, you know, Ovale or KYT or RHT Cold. 
Um, and then tylermerritours.com for the tours. And you can look us up on Instagram too, uh, Avali USA on Instagram and tylermerritours on Instagram. Okay. Um, are you on YouTube? Are you a big YouTuber? Nah, we, I just, honestly, it's not because I don't want to, it's just, I don't have like, I barely have time to do anything. And I, there's so many things I want to do like for the business and for Avali and just doing like cool, creative things to help, to help the brand and help promote things and to give like informational stuff to customers. But I just don't have the time and the day to do it right now. And, um, but that's definitely on the list. That's high on the list of things I want to eventually like get involved with is having like a, you know, an Avali YouTube channel where we can like really dive into like, you know, maintenance tips, setup tips, just all, all kinds of things, all Avali related, you know? Um, yeah. I think it's, I think that's one thing we're definitely missing. Um, but it's, you know, it's obviously that's super time consuming and I just don't have the time. You can always hire it out, a videographer and a, a guy I interested wish, in motorcycles, you know? I wish I, I wish I could. I just don't have any, I, I, I've, I've barely made any money in the past three years. So, <laughs> you know, yeah. there's a fine line between like, you know, I just keep spending money and not, you know, being able to make anything. Or maybe we'll find someone who wants to do it on volunteer from watching this. Right. Yeah. If anyone wants to volunteer and do some stuff, you hit me up. <laughs> Help grow the sport, right? Yep. So I, I think I'll be getting back into uh, track days in a couple of years, maybe uh, oh, cool. tw 20, 23, two, two years, maybe uh, midsummer. We'll see. Oh, cool. Cool. Um, so just trying to trying to save my money and make some money right now with Eric Swan racing before I, before I start spending it again. Yeah. I, I still do some track days here and I still enjoy riding on the track, but you know, that's about it for me. I just do maybe like uh, the one, when the seat, excuse me, when the season's around, I probably do like one track day a month just to like, I still love riding. You know, I just, uh, I just that's, but that's enough for me. <laughs> Any particular track or just do your home I track? Summit Point's my home track and it's only like an hour and 45 minutes from my house. And they, they have a lot of Monday track days there. Okay. So like I, I, I probably hit up every Monday track day that they have um, just because it's easier for me to, you know, to do that. And it is, um, go on a weekend uh so i just you know pop off on a monday sometimes and go down there and, and that's like my out of all the track i mean honestly i've ridden a lot of tracks around the world obviously and i for some reason i like love some point <laughs> <laughs> i don't know why i just like it's such i for me it's just such a fun track so i never get tired of going there and you know, ripping some laps like on occasion so is there a particular track you're best at some people are good at like hard breaking zones or fast flowy corners or like is there a particular set of um, circumstances um just, you like i've never really liked tracks that are like you know point and shoot type tracks i've always liked tracks that are more flowy like suzuka for example was just one of the most like flowy tracks i've ever ridden yeah and i was just like that i went really well there and i really liked it um you know like i yeah like point and shoot type tracks i just never really enjoyed um but yeah i mean i've over the years i've gotten better at like just being able to ride any type of track um, but I definitely enjoy like more flowy tracks where you're like connecting things, um, you know, and tracks that have actually like New Jersey, I hate because there's, it's just like flat for the most part. Um, I like tracks with some, like some natural elevation to them and just like, they seem more like they they're flowy and natural than like purpose built. Like, Oh, we just put this here and it's just like a track, you know? <laughs> yeah. It doesn't fit in with the landscape. Right. Right. Now Suzuka seems like one of the most difficult tracks that there are just because of how um there's not really many right-handed you know 90 degree turns there uh it's very like spoon curve um it's, it's difficult 
it's it's not like a typical turn yeah it was one of the hardest tracks i ever had to learn knowing going into it that i had to like obviously race with you know the, the best riders in the world and qualify and all that stuff i was definitely i was nervous going into it because i know for a fact it's one of the hardest ones to learn yeah um, so yeah i definitely yeah that was that was a tough one um that's why like i flew over early to do a test there like a month before the race and um yeah, so I'm, I'm glad I did. And I, I wound up doing a you know decent, respectable time. I got down to like a 14, um, and you know, which wasn't bad. You know, the most like the top ish teams, except for like the factory, like GP guys, they're doing like 208s, 210s, like in that range. But then you had like Alex Lowe's and Vandermark and all those guys. They were like, I think like the lap record there on qualifying tires is like a 204 oh, or wow. 203. Yeah. But the like race pace and endurance that was like a 206 for those guys so you know i was i was pretty happy with what i did there you know in terms of like my qualifying time and my race pace but um yeah it's just a, it's a yeah that track is wild it's, i've never ran a track with so much grip like you can just it's it was unbelievable how much grip there was and i did a couple laps in the rain there too and i i had never like i mean it was like easy knee on the deck in the rain like not even like you know it wasn't like oh i'm kind of feeling it out there was like there was no issues of grip at all yeah so that dry it was just like i mean you could just bury the front the front brake and the front tire into turns and you could just really push the front it was it was pretty crazy riding there it was it was a different experience but then you got to come in for tires sooner right yeah they, they definitely wore the tires out there but they're only like you know the the, the japanese bridgestones and the japanese made dunlops like those are the tires that like worked there like they were like you know easily worth you know i know the the factory teams got like special bridgestones and they were worth like you know for qualifying for example when they did like a two or three they were worth like two seconds a lap wow yeah it was That's significant bro oh yeah it wasn't like a small it wasn't a small change it was like huge <laughs> well and also the longer the track the bigger the gain yeah exactly yeah so i mean it was like a two you know two minute plus lap time so obviously it's you know it's a fairly long fairly long track so you know being you know that much off you know 10 you know 10 seconds off like the lap record like isn't that bad <laughs> right for sure um yeah and uh talking we talked about motor gp a little bit with the old valley is there any uh world superbike interests um well there's so i mean dorna owns world superbike now so you know it's kind of like all kind of mixed all together. one yeah 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 so, so maybe, maybe they'll get some uh, in the World Superbike stage. Yeah, too. maybe, maybe they'll get involved with that. Yeah, for sure. So, um, so kind of wrapping things up here, uh, approaching our hours. Are any other parting words you have for people? Uh, no, man. I just appreciate all the support that everybody has, you know, given to us. You know, if you're interested in a volley, hit us up or a tour. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, we've, you know, we get a lot of, you know, kind words from people about like, you know, what we're doing for the sport and everything. So that's always appreciated and. You know, thanks for having me on and um, thanks to everybody for supporting what we do. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'm glad to have you on here and talk for about an hour or so. And uh, I'll get this posted and edited and posted in about a week or two. And make sure we tag everybody we talked about and uh, share it so we can get as many eyeballs on it as possible. Cool. Will do, man. All right. Well, have a great day, man. And talk to you soon. Thanks, Eric. See All you. right. Bye bye.